You're listening to Earth Noise, the podcast that uses music as a vessel to travel through time and space, hosted by me, Kelsey Georgeson. On this show, we will explore our collective experience by listening to a variety of music and finding a common thread. This podcast is recorded on the traditional land of the Kickapoo people. I also want to acknowledge that all American music has been influenced by the African diaspora. In this audio space, we aim to elevate the voices of Black and Indigenous people in their music. Today, we're going to explore the ways that music is used in cultural stories and referenced within songs itself as a tool for playing with or fending off the devil and demon figures. The title of this episode comes from the song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. You know, the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. That soul to steal is the whole theme of this episode. If you haven't heard the whole thing, here are the words to the first section. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sawing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play a pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I'll bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, cause I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're gonna regret, cause I'm the best there's ever been. <laughs> that was from The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band. Thank you to Anthony Rideout for accompanying me on the bass. These lyrics, like at the end when the the fiddler is saying, you know, it might be a sin, but you know what, I'm going to take this bet. I think it tells such a powerful story about, I, you know, the fear of the fear of the devil or even the fear of God, the wrath of God, especially in these southern communities, um, which is uh, being alluded to here in the song. And this huge risk that Johnny's willing to take, a willingness to lose your soul for the ultimate title of being the best musician for the ultimate prize of that golden fiddle. It's a common plot in music history. It's something we see a lot in in narratives over time. The tune Crossroad Blues, for example, by Robert Johnson was allegedly a product of Johnson trading his soul for the ability to play guitar and to truly play the style of blues. There's a story of this remembered by another musician, Sun House, uh, who said that Robert Johnson was like okay at harmonica, um, but really wasn't that great and really didn't know how to play the blues. Uh, and was terrible at guitar, apparently, just like could not play. And he disappeared for a few weeks. And legend has it that Johnson, while he was missing, um, took his guitar to the crossroads of highways 49 and 61 in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And at the crossroads, since the crossroad blues, um, the devil took his instrument, borrowed it, whatever, and returned it in exchange for Johnson's soul. And returning this guitar also giving Johnson the power to play the guitar and shred and, and be like a real blues man. And they say that Johnson returned with formidable technique and this just complete understanding and grasp and embodiment of the blues. The song you just heard was Crossroads or the Crossroad Blues by Robert Johnson.
This story was told of another musician, Tommy Johnson, earlier. No relation. Not related to Robert Johnson. But um, the story really stuck because Robert Johnson had kind of a troubled life and uh, was actually died when he was 27, as so many musicians in history have. Um, so that short and troubled life made this uh, plot that he had traded his, his soul with the devil really believable to folks, and it really stuck. And this tale is really old. So Robert Johnson was born in 1911, but Paganini, the famous violinist, was born in 1782 and has a really similar story. Paganini started a lot of traditions that stuck around, including memorizing music for performances. He was one of the first musicians to perform music memorized. Apparently, the effect of a musician performing without looking at music was kind of uh, entrancing for people. They would watch this person totally absorbed and, and, you know, in the moment, eyes closed, moving to the music, what, you know, the things we, we kind of expect from musicians now. And they were like, oh, it's like he's possessed. He looks so weird. He's like, what's, what is he doing? What's, <laughs> what's happening to him? And this act paired with his really striking features. Apparently he had, you know, he's like a very tall man with dark features and very prominent um, profile and, you know, bone structure. <laughs> so he, he stood out and he looked really distinct and he was losing himself in this music, which he wasn't even looking at music um, and, and losing himself while he was playing. And people just found it completely enrapturing. Many witnesses claimed while he was playing that they saw the devil himself or iterations of the devil, like beside Paganini, next to Paganini, behind Paganini, you know, they, they saw the devil <laughs> kind of helping out or being involved in this. Um, it was even said at one point, the devil struck the tip of Paganini's bow with lightning. Caprice number 24, the final caprice of Paganini's piece, is infamous for its devil-like sound. This recording of Caprice number 24 in A minor from Niccolo Paganini's 24 Caprices is performed by Stephen Sterick. Rather than play all of the variations of the theme, I've layered four of the 13 variations to give you a sample of this famous piece. to explore this topic as we're approaching this kind of liminal time of year, Halloween, um, Day of the Dead, uh, Samhain, these <laughs> different traditional holidays that all celebrate death, our connection to death, our relationship with the devil and demons and spirits and fiendish things. And um, I think it's so interesting that in music history, we have these narratives of devils influencing or possessing or manipulating musicians. Um, but there are also many folk stories and myths where music wards off the monster or the evil being. Um, and I thought it would be great to look at just kind of some of these different narratives and stories that we see and hear. I really wanted to dive into this topic with a glimpse of music from Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. Whether we are looking at Dia de los Muertos, Halloween, Samhain, or other examples of this holiday, 
they're all based on this being a cross-quarter day or a, or a day that's halfway to the next equinox. We're almost to this darkest time of year, which is why it feels like this, I don't know, especially mystical time to so many people. Dia de los Muertos really highlights the way that all of these holidays walk the intersection of sacred and secular. In fact, much of the fear surrounding the devil music mentioned earlier stems directly from religious practices. It's interesting that spiritual music can be inspiring or meant to invoke fear. I think religion in general <laughs> can be either of those things for folks. So this song we're going to listen to by Lila Downs is uh, Son de Defuntos, which translates to They Are From the Deceased, telling the story of that thin line between sacred and secular, describing the Grim Reaper and the saints all gathered together. This song goes further and describes that intersection of indigenous culture and the effects of colonialism in some parts. So I'm just going to read a few of the lyrics from this, not the whole song, um, before you get a chance to just actually sit and listen uh, <laughs> to this really high energy, beautiful piece um, that, again, like I said, is is describing that intersection of sacred and spiritual, where these two kind of cross and um, meet in the middle. I'm going to read the translation of this these lyrics. I'm not going to read all of the lyrics. I'm just going to read a few little sections that I think help paint the picture of what this song is about. Um, it's a rough translation. Things won't rhyme. Here it is. This is from Sonde Defuntos by Lila Downs. The Grim Reaper was sitting, smoking his tobacco with the saints as they argued about who had had his last drink. Marigold and copal, smoke that comes from the road. I will take your holy daughter if you don't put wine on my altar. And there's kind of a course about the dead man and the dead woman and how they've already been chosen by the Grim Reaper or the saints. And then here we have, here comes the Grim Reaper, candle, 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 that mystery to your mantle, candle, candle, candle. May my deceased come enjoying candle, candle, candle. Um, and then the woman turned on her TV to see the telenova the ruler with his cronies, the homeland was whitewashed. Tamales and chocolate, because it asks for sweet and salty, along that path of flowers that in the offering is waiting for you, through that path of flowers that in the offering is waiting for you. Estaba sentada a la parca, fumándose de su tabaco. Con los santos se discutía quién se echaba su último trago. Con los santos se discutía quién se echaba su último trago. Se fue a su chilico pal, como que vas del camino. Yo me llevo a tu hija santa, si no pones en mi altar vino. Yo me llevo a tu hija santa, si no pones en mi altar vino. Se muerto así.
pelona prende su tele Chocolate, porque pide dulce y salado Por ese camino de flores Quien la ofrenda te está esperando Por ese camino de flores Quien la ofrenda te está esperando Te muerto si sí, es This song is Son de Defuntos by Lila Downs from her Balas y Chocolate album. What I love about this song is it's dealing with such heavy topics, really, like who's done with their life and, oh, man, if we don't leave something on the altar, like we might not get to, you know, see them again in the afterlife. And even this section talking about um, the land ruler, his cronies and the homeland that has been whitewashed, um, kind of alluding back to these indigenous communities and how they were impacted by colonialism. It's such a heavy hitting thing. And you listen to this song and you're like, wow, it's so energizing and upbeat. And, you know, it's, it's so amazing what, how music and um, language and cultural stories can intersect in this way that is moving and inspiring and playful. Um, so I take this as it's it's telling a traditional story, but it's also in a way uh, saying it's it's out of your hands. Like you can <laughs> you can leave your offerings and you can do your best, but it's it's down to um, the Grim Reaper and the Saints. Right. Or or to either or to both or, <laughs> you know, is, is this uh, is the Grim Reaper separate from the Saints? Are they different powers, a secular power and a spiritual power? Are they the same? Are they? Are none of them powers at all? Kind of asks a lot of questions and um, has levity to it, despite the heaviness of the topic. So I really enjoyed that one and thought it would be a great one to open with today as we're talking about this concept. I think that this song and so much music from Dia de los Muertos really highlights the um, intersection of secular and spiritual in actual cultural practices, as well as in the way that we hear them in music. I mean, music is constantly weaving between these two topics. So I thought this was a great way to speculate about <laughs> about death and tradition and um, music practices. The next piece that I want to talk about is, is an old classic, Dance Macabre. Uh, there's a famous orchestral version of Dance Macabre that was written by Camille Saint-Saëns. Um, and this is a really um, famous and popular recording. It's one that's used in many um, music lessons. I actually want to give a shout out to a teacher I worked with when I was um, teaching in schools. Uh, Mrs. Monica Spangler taught me... <laughs> a lot of what I know about Dance Macabre and was really my first time 
listening to this piece all the way through and knowing what to listen for hearing the different qualities in this piece and the story that it tells. Dance Macabre was a uh, French art narrative used in the late Middle Ages, meaning no matter one station in life, death unites us all. Which is really powerful. <laughs> and I think is what a lot of um, these narratives around death end up centering around when we think about our practices and costuming for Halloween, right? You don't know who's under that costume. It could be anybody. They can be in any walk or station of life. Um, you think about Dia de los Muertos, and it's it's not about wealth or status. It's It's about who's remembered and what they're remembered for and how they're remembered and um, what legacies they left in, in terms of family and in work and in memory. And so this idea, especially that it became a way to create art, a lot of visual art and other works were being made during the late Middle Ages in France to represent this, to show death as a uniting factor. It's pretty... Uh, I hate to say it's pretty macabre, but it is. <laughs> um, it's a it's a pretty kind of dark imagery, uh, heavy imagery. It's pretty heavy image, imagery um, and centered around really big ideas <laughs> about life and death. This poem was a summary of this idea. And actually, this poem and this French superstitious art narrative are the things that Camille Saint-Saëns based the, the famous version of um, Dance Macabre, the orchestral piece, based on this poem and on this idea. This is a sample from the poem Dance Macabre, written by Henri Gonzalez in 1872 and translated by Richard Stokes. Tap, tap, tap. Death rhythmically taps a tomb with his heel. Death at midnight plays a jig. Tap, tap, tap on his violin. The winter wind blows. The night is dark. The lime trees groan aloud. White skeletons flit across the gloom, running and leaping beneath their huge shrouds. Tap, tap, tap. What a saraband. Circles of corpses all holding hands. Tap, tap, tap. In the throng you can see king and peasant dancing together. But shh. Suddenly the dance has ended. They jostle and take flight. The rooster has crowed. Ah. Nocturnal beauty shines on the poor, and long live death and equality. That sums it up, right? That in death we are all united. That the, the people we spend eternity with could be someone we don't even know in this life. Ooh. Well, the next piece that we're going to listen to is Dance Macabre composed by Camille Saint-Saëns, as performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra in 2013. So Saint-Saëns wrote a, essentially a musical poem based on that actual poem, where we're hearing some of this clear imagery. So at the beginning, the harp plays 12 tones. emulate the clock striking midnight and you know we all know midnight is when the trouble starts in Halloween right you'll hear kind of an allusion to a fiddle of violins playing a little more of a, a raucous part in this 
to indicate that the skeletons are now dancing. Death has risen. They're playing. They're um, having their moment, right? This is the one time of the year when, when death gets to have its day. And then at the end, there's um, a little oboe melody that you'll hear that is the rooster cawing and indicating that the sun is rising, the fun is over, and everybody needs to go back, descending into the ground, the underworld, um, for now. So now we'll have a listen to Death's Final Dance before it begins its descent back to the underworld. This is the second half of Dance Macabre as performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra in 2013. It's really interesting. Franz Liszt actually ended up transcribing this piece for piano, and both Ernest Droud and Camille Saint-Saëns himself made their own arrangements of this piece for piano for four hands. At the end of this episode, I'll give you a little taste of what that piano piece for four hands would sound like. Before I leave this topic of dance macabre, and this whole concept <laughs> of death will unite us all. I, I want to say that just like we saw that devil went down to Georgia story show up in history in the early 1900s and also in the 1700s and probably time and time again before, this story here started in the late Middle Ages, at least as an art practice. It was probably a narrative even earlier than that. Um, but we saw it show up in different forms of art that we have today. 
we saw this poem as we approached the romantic period we have this piece and then list arranged this piece and then it was arranged again <laughs> for four hands on piano and orchestras are still performing this piece but i would argue that the um the contemporary iteration of the story is the YouTube sensation of the video Spooky Scary Skeletons, which is the, the modern day phenomena of a video from the 1929 Disney cartoon, The Skeleton Dance, merged with the 1996 children's Halloween song. Um, <laughs> this kind of weird early 1900s video with um, this late 1900s song stitched together, put on this, you know, digital space that we have that is YouTube. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know, it's, it's popularity and it's also telling the story that we know started at least back in the late Middle Ages. I think it's so interesting because that is an extension of this dance macabre story that's being told uh, through kind of the, the magic of the digital universe today. And <laughs> I think that's today's version. Of course, music isn't always the devil in the story. Many times music is a protecting force, a, a symbol or safety and goodness in the middle of evil or danger. The South African song and story of Abiyoyo is a great example of that. This is a Bantu story, and uh, it's honestly these days mostly credited to Pete Seeger for publishing it in a book and singing it. And I really like the way uh, Pete Seeger shares this story, actually, in an old episode of Reading Rainbow. You should look that up if you get a chance. But um, when I hear stories like this that have been kind of retold and pulled away from their roots, I like to imagine its original iteration. And this is a story that tells of kind of mischief makers. Pete Seeger refers to a ukulele in his story, and I would imagine that the original iteration actually is talking about the Yuari or the Kalumbu, um, traditional instruments from this Bantu region of South Africa. And he also uses the word magician to describe the boy's father. But I imagine in the region this is from, magician's a light term. Uh, he wasn't doing magic tricks. He was um, probably performing real magic, a, a priest or a or a witch, um, things that were feared, but also essential in communities. And, and we've seen that music and magic are things that are always feared and also often essential. <laughs> so here's my telling of this story. This story is called Abiyoyo, and it's uh, got a song that goes with it, which is why I'm sharing this here. It's a story about music, about monsters, about scary things like music and magic, and about scary things like monster, and how music can actually be a protecting force. So there's a little boy and his father in a village, a South African village, and the boy is a typical annoying kid that has this instrument that he loves to play, and he's running around strumming on it, just making all of this noise. 
and everybody's like, get out of here with that. You are making too much noise. Go somewhere else. Do that somewhere else. And the boy is always feeling like, oh, okay, I'll go somewhere else and do it. <laughs> but he's always being shooed away, and he's annoying everybody. And the boy's father is always performing magic, um, doing things that frighten people or, or, again, just maybe annoy people. Something goes missing. Something strange happens, and they want to blame the father for it. Things like that. And so there's also this attitude of, like, okay, you need to leave us alone, or we don't want him here because he's always dabbling in magic eventually the boy and his father cross a line and really piss people off I wonder what they did like maybe the boy was playing some music while the father cursed someone in the village or maybe there was some sort of <laughs> I don't know sacrifice or extreme thing that people thought was just um too far or maybe maybe the boy just didn't stop playing maybe he didn't leave when they told him to leave he just was hanging out and being really annoying and that was too much whatever whatever happened I, it's funny to imagine this because we can think of it happening today right what would someone do that gets them kicked out of town and that's what happened to these two they got excommunicated they were asked to leave people fear what they can't understand away from the village to pass the time until until bedtime they're you know not in their home they're away they're in an unfamiliar place uh and maybe maybe not just to pass the time maybe to scare the little boy into staying close and behaving and being protected the boy's father told him the story of abiyoyo uh abiyoyo is this giant a monster maybe he eats children and families and sheep <laughs> and there was a song about this giant that goes, Abiyoyo, 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 Abiyoyo. This song kind of has a lullaby quality. It's sweet and soothing, which makes me think maybe this is protection right? If you sing this song, you'll be safe from Abiyoyo. But this song also serves as a warning. It's a reminder that you can't rest too easy. There's something dangerous there. Next morning, the boy and his father woke to the ground shaking. A giant walking. It was Abiyoyo. The boy and his father worked together with music and magic. Dancing and playing the instrument. The boy caught Abiyoyo's attention, and he sang Abiyoyo's name again and again. Abiyoyo, 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 Abiyoyo. The giant was enamored and began to dance and make a low and loud sound that shook the earth. Maybe its own way to try and sing. Abiyoyo, yo, 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 Abiyoyo, yo, 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 yo. As Abiyoyo was spinning and twirling, groaning and stomping, the boy's father cast his magic. Abiyoyo, caught in the trance of the song and the spell of the fathers, disappeared. One wonders about this kind of magic. Is the giant transported to another land better or worse than this one? Does the giant continue to spin and dance here? 
only now unseen by us? Is the giant really and truly gone forever? It's hard to know. All we have is this. Abby, you, you, Abby, you, you. Abby, you, you, Abby, you, you. Abby, you, 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 you. Does music protect us or cast us into harm's way? Will it keep away the demons or invite them in? What are the consequences of making music and letting ourselves being fully encompassed by these powerful sounds? Who's out there looking for a soul to steal? Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Earth Noise. I hope if nothing else, you heard a song that is new to you today and can tug at that thread as we begin to unravel other stories. If you like this podcast, please check out my other work. You can follow me on Instagram at Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y underscore Georgeson. That's George with S-E-N at the end. Or you can explore my online piano classes and workshops at KelseyGeorgeson.com. Spelled the same, just the website. You can find that link and other resources in the show notes. If you loved this podcast, please leave a review or even more powerfully recommend this to a friend. I know all of my favorite podcasts I've found by someone going, have you heard? (laughs) Have you heard this new podcast? So please share my work with other people in your life if you like it. Um, It really means a lot to me. I'm so excited to finally be doing this. I would like to thank Anthony Rideout for being a guest musician on today's episode and for all of his contributions to this podcast. Right now you're listening to the Dance Macabre Piano Transcription for Four Hands as performed by the JJ Piano Duo Gloria Hyun Jung Kim and Si Yun Yu for the Odin International Music Competition in 2021. All of the music used in this podcast is either public domain, available under a Creative Commons license, or has been licensed and approved for use by BMI.